feeling stuck in your career or like you're not realizing your potential? Coaching Chats is the podcast for you. Through informative interviews and practical advice, we will help you assess your skills and interests while providing actionable steps to overcome challenges. Become the best version of yourself with Coaching Chats. Welcome to another episode of Coaching Chats. I'm your host, Rukshana Aliva. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest who has been on my show before. It's the one and only Bernard Cates. Bernard is a transformational leadership coach and mentor. He is a practicing life coach and mentor to both aspiring life coaches and people in many and various executive roles who are working on their own personal and professional development so as to become effective, transformational leaders. Bernard is also a leadership coach. He helps new leaders who have just been promoted and are struggling to lead effectively. In this episode, we are going to talk about organizational culture, specifically the importance of culture, how it can make or break your career. Welcome back, Bernard. It's a pleasure to have you on my show today. Thanks, Rakshana. It's great to be here. Thank you. Um, Culture is one of those topics that people talk a lot, but don't fully understand it. I thought to start our conversation with a definition. What is culture? Organizational culture is one of those things. As you say, it's a little hard to define, but you know it when you see it. Formally, organizational culture refers to shared values, beliefs, assumptions, attitudes, and behaviors that characterize an organization. So it actually represents the collective personality of the organization, and it shapes how the employees think and feel and act within the workplace. The best way I can summarize that is to say organizational culture really refers to how we do things around here. It really characterizes the organization, uh, both from inside and from the perspective of somebody looking in, customers, clients, stakeholders outside of the organization who have some interaction with it, also have an exposure to the organizational culture. So you can see that it really does have a huge impact right across every aspect of, of what that organization does. Yes, it's as you said, it's behavior. Yeah, it's it's everything. It's, it's how the the organization actually functions properly yeah. overall, I would say. And why why is it important? Why culture is important? Culture is really important because it actually has a huge impact on how an organization operates. But most importantly, it's about the people within that organization, how they interact with each other, how they see. Uh, their work as contributing to what that organization does and actually how they feel about being there. When if you're one of those people who wakes up in the morning with a sinking feeling of dismay and thinking, oh, I have to go to work today. Well, you know, you're probably not contributing an awful lot to your organizational culture, but also you're not contributing a whole lot to your own happiness and you're probably not going to do your best day's work either. 
But if you work for an organization that's really positive and really constructive and really encourages you in every way, you wake up feeling like you're looking forward to going to work. You're excited at the challenge the day's going to bring and you're looking forward to the goals that you're going to kick during the day. So that kind of positive, exciting, supportive, uplifting organizational culture, it's a pleasure to work in. And organizations that have a culture like that are the winners. They're the ones that are succeeding where their competitors are struggling or going to the wall. It really is that important. Thank you. Yes, I can completely relate to that because from my personal experience, um, talking from my personal experience, I used to work for for companies with a very positive, um, supportive, collaborative uh, organizational culture. And when I look back now, I, I have good memories. You know, I thought that was a great company to work for to, you know, to work for. And it definitely impacted very well my well-being and um, generally, yeah, have, I have good memories about that, about my work experience there. And I did mention just briefly now types of organizational culture. What are the different types of organizational cultures and um, how, they, how can they impact employees? Well, we just mentioned one, the really important one, you know, that really positive uplifting, collaborative, success-oriented, very supportive environment where people feel happy to be at work. It's a pleasure to be there. And they feel that when they give their best efforts and they achieve things, they're actually acknowledged for that and appreciated for what, the, for what they're doing. That, that kind of culture is a success-oriented culture. And it's genuine. You know, it's, it's not some senior manager playing a role and pretending to do these things. It comes from the real person, from the heart. And that's, that's really what's, what's so important because everybody then in the organization can become a part of that. So that's, the, that, that's, that's what we're striving for. But we do see other kinds of organizational cultures. And you can also see an organizational culture change almost overnight uh, when somebody very senior in the organization is replaced and a new person comes in. I've seen this happen too. But, you know, let, let's talk about cultures that are not quite so pleasant to be within. There, there are cultures which are success-oriented, very much towards the bottom line. It's all about performance. It's all about hitting those targets, and the pressure is on. High-pressure environment, lots of competition, lots of pressure to perform, uh, all of those sorts of things, a very transactional sort of environment to be in. Some people thrive in an organization like that. Uh, some people do, but most, after a while, don't. It's okay for a while, but if you're in an organization like that, sort of longer term, you tend to burn out really quick because you're not getting that kind of support. You're not feeling that. Your efforts are appreciated, really, because the only sign of appreciation that you see is your paycheck at the end of the month. That's that one. The other one that I've worked in, you probably have too, and I'm sure some of your listeners have, uh, is that really sort of negative, repressive organizational culture, which is probably led by somebody who's a bit of an autocrat, you know, who's not interested in what you think. They just want you to shut up and do as you're told. No, <laughs> just get the job done. Do it my way and don't question me. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, well, People don't hang around very long, usually, in organizations like that. Normally, they don't. Uh, and uh, it, 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 it's, it's possibly not the best way 
to approach long-term success in any kind of business enterprise. Fair enough, an autocratic leadership style and an autocratic culture may be okay if there's a crisis and decisions have got to be made, critically important decisions have got to be made in a short time and probably with incomplete information, action taken. Well, that's a different thing. I think in in a situation like that, a lot of people appreciate being given clear direction and clear instructions and and they know what's expected of them. But as a long-term strategy for normal operations, it's not a good recipe for success. It puts people under a lot of pressure. It makes them question, you know, is this really where I want to be? Is this really what I want to be doing? Because, you know what? I feel like a piece of office machinery. I feel like I'm about as important as that photocopier over there. You know, that kind of a culture will 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 lead people to, to to feel like that. And if you feel like that, and you wake up in the morning with that sinking feeling, that dismay about, oh, I've got to go to work today. Well, it's time to start looking for another job. Mm, that's actually very good red flags. Um, everyone, well, not everyone, everyone who feels the same way should should pay. I don't say should as a, obviously as a coach, but probably need to pay attention to because longer term it 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 may impact your well-being you can burn out and things like that and thank you Bernard interestingly interestingly you were talking about uh, I, you didn't call it hustle culture but um you, you know there are companies who really glorify this or praise long long hours they want people to be at their desk all the time and i remember I actually used to work for a company like that. And I remember uh, during my time there, uh, the HR did a survey and CEO had publicly had to publicly uh, give the results. What were the surveys of the employees? And he did say during, uh, during the meeting to everyone in the company that people were com- not complaining, but I don't know how he phrased it, that people weren't happy with long hours. And his response was to everyone's like, what do you think? You work in that type of industry in the financial services. Services. This is how things should work here. And that was ages ago. And his phrase stuck, has stuck with me. So he just said, because it's this type of industry, we all supposed to work really long hours. And the culture in that company was really like, yeah, work, 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 work. Everyone was at their desk uh, all the time. And uh, yes, I, I, I don't know. Just I feel like <laughs> people were a little bit, again, I don't know what was in their mind, but yeah. Well, obviously the survey spoke for, for, for themselves, for itself, that people weren't actually happy with really long hours. Oh, for sure. And those people feel like they're under pressure all the time. And there's expectations on them that they feel that, they, that they're obliged to meet even though it really stretches them beyond you know, what they want to be, you know, what they want to be doing. I mean, you know, we're human beings and work is only one aspect of our lives. We don't want to spend our entire life focused just on one thing, just on the work and on the, on the performance of, of the tasks that we're, we're employed to do. Certainly not. Well, we, we need to have a little bit more than that. Um, in our life. But what we tend to find is that in a culture which is positive, 
and encouraging and supportive and collaborative, people tend to perform better anyway because they want to. That's the key. They're doing it because they want to, not because somebody with a big stick is saying, you must, and if you don't, I'm going to punish you in some way. You know, much better. Much better to have people really enthusiastic and really excited about what they're doing and, and getting those that, those real um, results, that real high performance, simply because that's what they want to do. You know, anybody who goes to work thinking, well, I'm going to do a bad job today, you know, what kind of person is that? <laughs> Nobody's like that, are they? We go to work because we want to do a good job. And if you're in an environment that encourages that, if you're working within an organizational culture that encourages that, then you're going to feel a whole lot better about yourself and about your day, and you're going to perform better. It's just, you know, if, as night follows day, you know, it, it, that's, that's, that's how things operate. Treat people well, and they'll perform well. And not only that, they'll go the extra mile for you. So, you know, there's no need to demand that people work long hours all the time. It just isn't. It's not necessary. But when there is a crisis and when something has to be done, and it has to be done with some urgency, then they're not going to watch the clock. They're going to look at the result. So going to, are we delivering this? Are we getting this done? You know, if there's particularly things like there's a deadline and we've got to get this done by that deadline, you know, if that means hanging back in the office a little bit to get it done, well, people who are empowered to do a good job are going to do that because they want to, and they're not going to feel resentful about it afterwards. They're going to get it done, and then they're going to look back at it and say, geez, we did a good job there. And they know that because the boss has said to them, you did a good job there. Thank you. You know, saying thank you to the employees. I mean, I worked in a few, envi a few environments in a few organizations where the senior people would not say thank you to anybody in the same way that they wouldn't say thank you to the photocopier. But, you know, when you work in an environment where you are appreciated for what you do and the senior people in the organization go out of their way to let the, let you know that they do appreciate what you do, then it, it, it makes more difference than giving you a pay rise because you feel like you really are appreciated. And that means it's worth the effort that you put in. You didn't do it just for the money. Well, of course, you did it some of it for the money you have to get paid you have to pay your mortgage and all those sorts of things but that's not your your main motivation for it your main motivation is because you enjoy what you do and you want to do a good job so much better to be in an environment where that's encouraged and appreciated most definitely most definitely because there are obviously there are moments at work when you have to you know there are force majeure or crisis where you have to stay and complete certain things. And as you said, if you feel that you're valued by your company, people appreciate you um, and treat you well, you know, you are more likely, you know, you, you will do that job because you know, my company values me, my input. And that's, that's so important. Yeah, exactly right. But, you know, I'll give you a couple of stories from my, my background is in emergency services and the organization that I worked for for quite a number of years had a very positive organizational culture, very enthusiastic, very supportive, and very much, we're here to serve the public. We're here to help them on the worst day of their lives. 
And so, you know, it wasn't just a job because all of us believed in what we were doing. We believed in what the organization was there for. And so, yeah, a number of times uh, I've worked 14, 16 hour days because we were handling emergency response operations, keeping people safe, rescuing people, saving lives, doing those sorts of things. And, you know, yes, I was getting paid for that, but I never once even thought about that wasn't important. What was important was the job I was doing to serve the communities uh, that, that this organization existed for. So, you know, that, that was really what, what drove me was, was belief in what the organization was about. And that, that went right down through the whole organization from the, from the commissioner right down to, to, to the bottom of the organization. But I, I mentioned earlier on how a culture can change almost overnight, and that one did. We had a new commissioner was appointed who was an autocrat. He came in and he said, right, I don't want to hear from you. I'm not interested in what you think. Here's how it's going to be. Shut up, get out there and do it. Do this, do that. And when you've done it, do the next thing. Well, I tell you what, the organizational culture changed overnight. It went from an organization where we felt we believed in what it was about. We were prepared to go the extra mile and then another one, if that was what was required. It went from that to being a job. It went from being an organization that we really believed in to a necessity. I have to do this because I have a mortgage to pay. And I tell you what, that's really sad when something like that happens, when a rug is pulled out from under your feet like that. And it wasn't very long, probably within six months of that commissioner having been appointed, all of the really capable people had left had all gone, moved to another emergency service, or like I did, I took early retirement, got out, um, you know, those sorts of things. So where that organization is today, I don't know. And that's very sad as well, because, you know, I believed in what it was doing. And even had I had I left it feeling more positive about it, I probably would have been a little, little bit more interested to keep an eye and see what it was doing today. But I couldn't honestly tell you. Because when I got out of the door, I never looked back. I never looked back because you know, my, my um, memories of that organization, my memories of my participation in it had all been turned around into something that I really didn't care to, uh, to look back at. So it's really sad, really sad. But you know, that's, that's the effect of one man, one man. And the people who he then broke, brought in underneath him and chose to, to to put in place as his senior management team. Just 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 that. It's it's quite astonishing that, that someone, just one person, can have that level of, uh, of influence across the entire organization. I mean not it's not a small organization, let me tell you. It's thousands of people. So there you are. That's a that's a story from my own my own past. No, thank you for sharing. Uh, yes, definitely these um companies was Autocratic culture, um, yeah, lead to employee turnover, turnover, job dissatisfaction, and and yourself, like you, you left that job. You probably would have probably have stayed longer if it was uh, the company was under the previous uh, leadership. Yes, undoubtedly I would have. But you know, when you start to see someone whose leadership style consists of bullying, intimidation. And a dose of public humiliation thrown in, you know, and then he has the gall to lecture us on leadership 
(laughs) (laughs) That's the sort of thing. But, you know, having, having been through that experience, what that did for me was it underlined for me the importance of good leadership and it underlined for me what happens when they get it wrong, when the good leadership is replaced by something like that. And it's not then leadership at all. It's something else. Um, but, you know, that's a fantastic experience for somebody like myself who's actually guiding other people um, in their own uh, development of leadership skills. Because I can look back at that and say, well, here's a fantastic example of how not to do it. <laughs> yes, at least you, yeah, you, you've got, you've got a, a, a very good example from your personal experience, how, as you said, yeah, how not to run the firm or what the type of leader you should, must not be if you want good people to, you know, attract good people, retain talent and things like that. We'll definitely speak about leadership a bit later in our conversation because I think it's, it's obviously, it's, yeah, it's very important and it sets what you call the tone from the the tone from the top. Um, I was also, whilst you were speaking, I was thinking of psychological safety because obviously it all comes down to employees for them to feel safe, to be themselves, you know, not just to play a part like an actor. If we talk about psychological safety, how would you define psychological safety? Well, psychological safety really refers to a shared belief within a group or a team that it's safe to take interpersonal risks. So things like expressing ideas, expressing your opinions, raising concerns, or even taking a risk and making a mistake without the fear of any kind of negative consequences. It's an essential component of a supportive and healthy work or social environment. So it's it's really part of the organisational culture. But basically what that means is, you know, I feel safe to be myself at work, my, my whole self, and I'm not continually on guard and thinking, well, can I say that? Can I say that without, without consequences, without upsetting the boss? So, you know, it, it literally, it means I feel safe at work to be myself and to express that. So... I think that's that's really a, a crucial part of as what we were just talking about the organisational matchup. Thank you. Yes, it's also yes, definitely. You need to be safe to speak up. Uh, let's say if you notice something, you know, you should definitely not shoot. I don't like this much, but you know, it's really uh, important to be able to speak up without thinking, "Oh, will I get sacked for that?" Or uh, because I. Sadly, I was in the cultures like that as well, where I couldn't say what I think. I had to actually think about what I say. And sometimes I even was scared to ask questions during the meetings because I thought, oh, will they think I'm, you know, do, do, do I, am I asking too much? No, no, am I asking too many questions? Or sometimes maybe it's my limiting belief, you know, people think I'm silly or I don't understand. And, because the, the the environment it, it wasn't like how shall I say it was like a blame environment because I know if I say something they're like oh you're into blame you know and then I will get uh, scared for my job security in some ways as well which is um, yeah that time I didn't I didn't think 
about psychological safety. And I didn't even know that term that time, even though only years later, I, I realized actually it's, 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 it's crucial, you know, be able to. Yeah, absolutely. It is particularly if the team that you're a part of um, is uh, needing to be a very collaborative, particularly if, it, if it's, if it's a, a creative environment um, where there's a bit of um, innovation is, is required there. Well, you know, if you don't have, um, if you don't feel safe to express your opinions, to ask questions, uh, to question what's going on, to question the direction that's being taken, well, all of that is stifled. It's just not going to work. But when people feel psychologically safe, they're much more likely to engage in open and honest com uh, communications and to collaborate effectively, to share their knowledge and to contribute to the, the solving of problems. I mean, think about it from the boss's point of view. You know, hopefully you've recruited the brightest and the best to work on your team. So really, uh, you need them to be able to perform at their best in order to get the uh, the results from them that you employed them for. So, you know, well, yes, if you're a smart employer, a smart boss, you've got an eye on this and, you, and you're, uh, you're looking at the potential in your people and you're wanting to unleash their creativity to actually set them free to do the best work that they can do. You know, it makes sense, doesn't it, that you would want to do that because you're going to get the best results uh, from your team as a result of, of, of doing that. But unfortunately, I think there are a few people in leadership, in management positions who are afraid to do that because they think if someone on their team is doing particularly well, then they might outshine the boss. Oh, and that wouldn't be okay, would it? <laughs> well... You know, this is where we come back to thinking about, well, what do you mean? Employ people who are smarter than you are. You know, we all hear that. Don't we? How many times have we heard that? But it's true. You know, you employ people who in their particular fields are experts. They are truly the best. If you want the best results out of your team, that's what you're going to do. But then when you get them, you're going to get out of their way and let them do the job, let them perform at their best. You know, your job as the leader is not to do the work, it's to lead the people who do the work. <laughs> you see what I mean? And so set them free, unleash their creativity and let them do it. Make them feel psychologically safe at work. And you're gonna get the best results if that's what you do. Yes, that's uh, true. I, lo I love when you said <clears throat> to set them free. That's a very, very good uh, point and the term here. Yeah, just to be free to express what they really think, to raise red flags, for example, because yes, otherwise it just will be like a fear-based environment and it, it, again, it, it won't lead to any success or progress. Quite likely it's going to lead to some sort of a disaster that everyone on the team saw coming except the boss. The boss didn't see it coming because nobody felt able to say, oh, uh, boss, you know, there might be a problem here. Yeah. They, they yeah. Everyone was scared to bring right. bad news or raise something. And they're like, oh, you know, we didn't know that this actually was a, an ongoing issue. And yes, so it's, it's, it's very important psychological safety. I know it's been, I think it has been a hot topic for a few years now. And I see why. 
And uh, yes, I think we did discuss how leaders can create a bit more psychologically safe workplace, as you said, just set them free, let them work and create that. And and what do you call it? Open communication, just without any fear. Yeah, exactly right. Well, now you said a couple of times you felt that you weren't able to ask questions, Um, but they... People have to be able to question you as a leader. They have to, mostly because they need to understand what it is that you're asking them to do. And you can't assume that just because you told them, they got that message. They've got to be able to say, what does that mean, boss? Does it mean this or does it mean that? What do you mean by that? Let's get that clear. Or it might be that they're saying, hang on, why are we doing that? You know, it's important that your people understand why you're asking them to do something. Because once they see the reason for doing it, they can buy into it. If they don't understand the reason, well, you know, why would they want to put effort into in, into achieving it? You know, it's 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 just so important that that your people are able to ask questions, and they might be raising an issue that you hadn't considered yourself as the leader. If you hadn't thought about it, one of your people raises this, you'll end up being uh, able to make the best the best decisions for the work that your team's doing and how they're going to do it and the things they're going to achieve. If you allow your people to question you, uh, that doesn't mean to say that they're going to be critical of you, but you still got to be open to that too. Because you know, we're all human, everybody makes mistakes. I would much rather that somebody came to me and said, <laughs> you know, take a look at this. You know, that's it's going off the rails here. You know, because then we could take some corrective action rather than just leave it. Oh no, I don't dare speak to him about that. What happens then is that things continue along for a while, and then it all comes down in a big screaming heap sometime down the track. And guess who gets the blame for that? The leader. <laughs> you know, trust your people. <laughs> Let them ask you questions. Let them point things out when it's not making sense or something's going wrong. Um, and, you know, you're going to get a much better outcome at the end of the day. So it's all part of the psychological safety, isn't it? That people feel they feel able to speak out on on whatever, whatever the issue might be, whether it's a question, it's a comment, it's it's a problem that's arisen, you know, whatever it is, they've got to be able to raise it with the leader without fear of being ridiculed or attacked or punished in some way. Yes, that's that's so important. And leaders need do need to create this environment and maybe communicate uh, very clearly that feel free to ask me questions. You know, we don't we don't criticize people. We you know just make it very clear so people feel safe and ask questions. Uh, yeah, so that that's very very important. So yeah, we we've talked, uh, yeah, we've touched already leadership, and we're talking about leaders because this is all comes down to leadership all the time. It revolves around it. <clears throat> and uh, we did talk, yeah, we did cover how leaders can actively promote like a bit more positive and safe organizational culture. I wonder, do you? I know, Bernard, you are a leadership coach. Do you have maybe any tips for leaders on how to create a culture that supports employee growth and development if some leaders are listening to our podcast? Not for sure. Setting a, 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 creating a positive organizational culture 
uh, starts from the very top. Um, it starts with the the the, uh, the the overall vision for the organisation. What? Why are we here? What? What? You know? What is it that we? What we're? What are? What are we about? So a really clear vision that people can see and buy into uh, because it resonates with them is one of those really crucial things that starts right from the very top. Let's let's be very clear about what the vision is. Okay, let's get that right. Secondly, if you're going to be the kind of inspirational leader that people want to work for, who, are, who people are going to be inspired by, um, then you need to know yourself intimately. The first rule of leadership is know thyself. That was the inscription from the Oracle of Delphi, 3000 odd BC, it was there. The ancient Greeks knew this really well. If you want to be an effective leader, start with yourself. Understand yourself intimately. Who are you? What are your values? Those sorts of things are incredibly important. And then be that. Whatever your values are, whatever you discover within yourself, be that authentically. No messing around, no playing a role. Just be yourself because people will see that and they'll think, okay, this is an authentic person here. There's no nonsense about this. You know, He's not pretending, he's not an actor playing a role. This is the real person and they can relate to that. So once you've done that, well, then think about how, what's your leadership style? Are you an autocrat? Are you the sort of person who wants your people to accept your orders and obey unconditionally and unquestioningly? Because that's not likely to achieve good results in the long term. It might get you out of a crisis. It might be what's needed if things are going wrong. But I tell you what, a person who behaves in that way had better be the smartest person in the room. If you are a really smart leader, you're probably not the smartest person in the room, not on every single aspect of your organization's operations. You're going to be the best leader in the room, and you're going to have surrounded yourself with a number of people who are specialists in their field, and they're going to know a whole lot more, and their capabilities are going to be a whole lot greater than yours in their specialist fields. The good news is, of course, that it's not your job to do their jobs. Your job is to lead them. So focus on that. Focus on leading them. Focus on leading your people and empowering them to do their best work. Often that means getting out of their way so that they can do their best work. So we're touching on micromanagement a bit here. Don't micromanage. Trust your people. You empower them, you support them, you make sure they've got what they need to get the job done and then you get out of their way and let them do it. So that's that's um, crucially important. Now don't ever forget, as a leader, don't ever forget that you are a human being and that you're surrounded by other human beings. Some of them are your employees. Some of them are people who are looking to you for leadership. But, you know, they're people just like you trying to do the best they can out of their day so treat them like human beings with respect appreciate what they're doing for you appreciate that be there for them 
sometimes a leadership role involves protecting your people from stuff that comes from on high, particularly if you're in a middle level of management. You know, you'll get all sorts of nonsense will come down from the board, from the CEO. Well, it's your job as a leader to catch that stuff and deal with it, protect your people from it. So, you know, so they're doing the job. They're working. They're getting the job done. And you are dealing with all that nonsense from on high. Make sure that you do that. So they're, they're, you know, just just a few things about it. But that, that you know, leadership is all about people. It's relational, and from that regard, it's quite different from management. As management is all about the transactional side of things. It's all about dollars and cents, profit and loss, budgets, timelines, all that sort of stuff. Whereas leadership is about the people. So that's the thing to remember and focus on that. If the sign on your door says manager and you've got people reporting to you, you're a leader as well. Don't ever forget that. Yes. <clears throat> that's that's very accurate. Thank you, Bill. And um, yeah, no, thank you. It's been so insightful. Um, definitely leaders has to be, you know, they have to be like a role model to people. And it's all about people rather just, you know, you know, do your job and go home. So you, d you definitely need to protect and look after them. And this expert, this, these aspects, they're often <laughs> overlooked. And when he does, don't pay yeah. attention. Sure. Well, I, I think there's a, there's a feeling sometimes amongst people who've been promoted into leadership roles, particularly into management roles, that they have to be the expert on everything and that they have to be able to answer any question that their people might ask them. Well, that's not the case. Because, you know, your job is to lead a team and solving problems and working stuff out is, is what the team is for. And so, you know, if your people come to you and ask you a question, it's perfectly okay for you to say, I don't know, but don't leave it at that. Let's say, I don't know, let's find out. You know, that's much more engaging. Uh, now, you're being completely honest with your people. That's another really important thing in, in a leadership role you're always going to be completely honest with your people but they're also saying you know, you know if you just say I don't know and then leave it at that well that's not very supportive that's not really very encouraging but if you say I don't know let's find out and then you lead the teams you know go and ask some questions figure this out talk to Fred over there read this document let's see if we can figure out what the way forward is out of this you can lead your people through a problem-solving exercise to actually answer the question. And everybody learns something out of that, including you, which is a fantastic place to be, isn't it? You, no, definitely. If well, a leader uh, involves people in an interesting project and let them do the work, it also grows them because they, they get challenged in a good way and they learn something. Oh, yeah, uh, sure. And, you know, by that token, somebody might ask you a question that you do know the answer to, but you may choose not to answer it. Just send them back to find out the answer to the, to the question themselves. Because if they do that, you know that they're going to learn something and by that, they're going to take a step forward. They're going to grow their capability so that they become an even better asset to you as a team member. Definitely. Actually, it's a, such a great point uh, because I remember there were one time when um, I was contracting and I was really, I, w I really wanted to be involved in a, in a, on one project, interesting project, but, and my boss used to say, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get you involved. You, you'll do that. 
but it, it, it never happened because I thought if they get me involved, well, first of all, it was really interesting for me to learn how it was done. And I think by that time, I also did my project management qualification. So I was really interested in projects with a bit more technical side. And, but yeah, all in all, they gave me just work which nobody wanted to do. But the best work was kept by, by a number of people. But I remember I put my interest, I said very clearly, I would love to be involved in that project. I want to learn. But, and they said, yeah, yeah, we will. Yeah, yeah, we will. And some no, it was actually both that said to me. But yeah, it was, I just, I thought, well, yeah. So <laughs> it's a moment of, uh, uh, yeah. So I thought to share my personal story with that. Yeah, I yeah, having an eye on your your people and their their own personal and professional development is part of what your job is as a leader. Now you'd be encouraging your people to learn and to 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 learn new skills and to grow in their confidence and their capabilities, um, both in the workplace and as human beings. You know that's what we do if we're working effective in a leadership role. But of course that means that your people will move onwards and upwards. And sometimes you'll be able to move them onwards and upwards within the team, and sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll lose them because the role that they're doing for you now, they've outgrown it. And so, you know, for their own career and for their own progression, they need to move on. So you'll lose them. You'll lose them maybe out of the organisation entirely. But, you know, if somebody moves on because they've outgrown their role, uh, then as the leader, you can look back at that with a sense of satisfaction because you encouraged them to do that. You supported them to do that. And so the success that they're achieving now in their career is, you know, you can claim some credit for that. You know, that's a really fulfilling way to look at it. The other thing, too, is that when somebody leaves your team like that, it creates a vacancy which gives you an opportunity to recruit someone really fantastic to come in and fill that role. So there, you know, if someone leaves, it's not a failure or it's not a, oh, you know, what's going on now? It's not something to worry about. It's something to celebrate for, num for a number of reasons, if you've got it right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yes, it's, yes, it's, it's very, it's, it's very true because like if I, let's say if I had a team, I would uh, invest anything in them because if they are successful, it will make me fulfilled that I help these people to succeed in, in their professional life rather than being scared that they will outperform me or they will replace me. I don't know if some leaders have these thoughts as well. And I'm never, I'm never, I, I'm never understood why some leaders uh, get so scared of people who are really ambitious in a, in a good sense of this word, um, you know, want to learn, want to challenge, want to, you know, want to progress rather than just give them menial, I don't know what you call them, menial tasks, something that doesn't yeah, right. actually de develop them. And, and they don't involve in, in meetings as well. You know, sometimes good to be in certain meetings where people discuss what's going on, even just to understand the the dynamics, what people are doing. Well, sure, yeah. I, you, you know, with things like that, where you're giving your people the opportunity to step up or to to stretch themselves uh, personally and professionally. Well, 
you know that they're going to be developing new skills and they're going to be uh, becoming more confident. Uh, so, you know, that's that's part of your job as an inspirational leader to actually encourage your people to do that. And sure, that means that they're, eventually they're going to outgrow their role and they're going to move onwards and upwards. And, you know, it's your job to encourage them and, and to support them in doing that. But I think, you know, there are a lot of people who feel insecure about that and people in leadership roles who, who who do worry about that and who who don't see uh, that encouraging their people is important that comes down to a fundamental insecurity in themselves a lack of self-confidence and a lack of knowledge of who they really are and a lack of an ability to to actually be that with confidence every day but you know if you are a really confident leader, you're really confident about yourself, you know who you are and you know what you're doing, then that kind of insecurity um, is just not part of who you are. It's just not going to be there. But everyone around you is going to see that. They're going to see that you are a confident, competent leader. And so if you're looking to further your own career, that's what you want people to see. You want them to see that you know what you're doing in this role and that the people who work for you also see that and it inspires them to be confident about how who, who they are and how they're doing their work every day and that your team, because of that, is one of the highest performing teams in the organisation. It's all about the people. It starts with you as the leader. You encourage your team. You make them feel that what they're doing is worthwhile and that they're appreciated for what they're doing and that you will support them if they want to move onwards and upwards, then, you know, you're going to get performance out of those people that your colleagues who are more autocratic or more transactional can only dream of. So it works. And yes, if somebody moves onwards and upwards and steps over you, well, step back and celebrate. Celebrate with them. Wish them well. You did well. You've got a huge capability you've got a whole career ahead of you go for it go for it you know that's really i think one of those things that that people do sometimes struggle with but not everybody does it's 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 a bit about your self-confidence really Um, it's about being secure in who you are Um, and so you know fundamental stuff about leadership yes and talking about the fundamental um stuff about leadership for our listeners who don't know Bernard has recently updated his uh, book which is called foundations of leadership your journey to becoming to becoming a transformational leader um, and i had the privilege of uh, starting reading this book uh, it's i I've, I've enjoyed it thoroughly and i know Bernard, you have updated the existing one isn't it I have. There's a copy of it on the website at the moment, which is um, a couple of years old. And since then, I've run Foundations of Leadership as um, a face-to-face workshop and also online uh, with a number of people from various backgrounds. Uh, I think we've run the workshop five or six times now and they've got quite a lot of feedback from participants in that. So that led me to do some revisions and some updates and to include a whole lot more background material so the book has expanded quite a lot from its 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 previous edition. So where it's at at the moment, I've, I've, I've finished the writing and it's just with one of my colleagues who collaborated with me on 
uh, some of the content in there. And once she comes back to me with the uh, with her seal of approval, uh, it will be published and it will go up on the website. So it will be available there um, sometime probably towards the end of August, I'm guessing, um, if everything comes together. So um, it's uh, it's it's the the text that goes behind the workshops. It stands on its own, but it's the supporting material for the workshops that I present. And when I do a leadership mentoring program with somebody or a coaching program with somebody, I generally base what I tell them on that same material. So just to be just to be consistent. But that came from my own reflections on my own career and thinking about how I got promoted into a leadership position, not just once, but several times without any guidance at all. It was just assumed that because I was good at the technical aspects of the work that I did, I could step easily into a management, into a leadership role. Well, that's not necessarily the case. (laughs) I know that quite a lot of other people feel the same. They get this promotion because they were good on the tools, you know, they were good at the technical stuff, but it doesn't necessarily follow that they're going to be any good at all at leading people. And so, you know, for those people who are feeling completely out of their depth, they're fine with the technical aspects, but now they've got people that they need to lead and they need to manage and the people are looking to them for leadership and they go, what do I do now? (laughs) Mel? What you do now is you read my book and you come and talk to me. <laughs> if that's not shameless self-promotion. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. So obviously you see you, 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 you experienced it firsthand and you know how difficult it is when you, you've been, you know, when you were promoted on your technical skills, but you don't know anything about leadership or how to lead people. And, uh, and uh, yeah, but obviously you, you learn it through your experience, right? All the, all the soft skills, I would say, and yeah, role yeah. Oh, the, the way I approached the, um, my first leadership, my first leadership role was to think about, well, what would I like, how would, how would I like to be led? Uh, and I, I started to lead by people, um, just guided by that, by my own feelings about it. And surprisingly enough, it worked. <laughs> so I thought, oh, okay, all right. So that's that's something to to focus on. You know, if it works for me, then likely it's going to work for, for the people that I lead. So I did that for a few years, but I, I did actually do some, some, some formal um, training qualifications in, in leadership uh, you know, with the Australian Institute of Police Management, which actually is all about leadership in the emergency services. And it, 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 it taught me a few things, but mostly what it did for me is it underlined for me the things that I already knew. So um, by the time I did that, uh, that uh, graduate certificate with, uh, with, with them, I'd been in a leadership role for quite a number of years and it was really good for my confidence as a leader to actually get some tertiary qualifications in leadership and management. It's, um, I guess it, it didn't actually teach me a whole lot of new stuff, but what it did, I say it boosted my confidence by confirming for me that I did actually know this stuff um, and that I had been putting it into practice. So, you know, I, I would say 
your people really don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. But get that right first and, you know, worry about qualifications and all the rest of it later. But the main thing is to make sure that you're treating your people like human beings. Treat them as you would like to be treated yourself and you can't go far wrong. That's that's so wise. That's so that that's so true. Yes, definitely. People don't care how much you know. People care how much you you care about them. This is definitely you need to get this. You get you, new leaders or existing leaders get this absolutely right. It's all about people, as you so Bernard pointed out earlier in our conversation. And yes, for our listeners, I'll definitely put a link to Bernard's website, and so you can perhaps. Uh, purchase uh, Bernard's book. I started reading it and it's really, really good. It's very practical. There is no fluff. It sort of puts your um, uh, mind in like in the right direction, like in it's very well structured. I have enjoyed it so far and I'm looking forward to finishing it. Uh, and yeah, so Bernard, I'm just thinking about about people who are existing employees. We were talking about employees, existing employees, and we didn't touch upon job seekers as such. Uh, is it, in, I guess, well, I guess I'm, I'm pretty, obviously it's very important to do due diligence before they accept any job offer. What should they look for when evaluating a company's culture during the application and interview process? Well, that's a good question. I, I, firstly, before you go looking for a job, you'd do well to look at what I just said about understanding yourself. So ask yourself, who am I? And define that in terms of your personal values. What's really important to you? Now, what is it? that motivates you to get out of bed each day? What's critically important that you must have in your life? What do you want to be, to have, to do in your life? What makes you angry? What makes you weep? What makes you look at the world and say, that has got to change? Those things, what is that? So you're answering that question of who are you in terms of your personal values and what, what it is that's crucially important to you. Because until you know that, you're not actually going to be able to make a very good decision about what sort of work you want to do and in what sort of industry you want to do that and what sort of organization is going to fit with those values of yours. So that's the first thing. So the second thing is having made that decision and figured out what sort of a job you're looking for, what sort of a career path you're looking for, then take a look at the industry and take a look at the organizations that operate within that industry and look for organizations whose organizational values fit with yours. So look at their vision statement. It'll be on their website. If it's not there, and if it's not really clear, and if it's not something that says to you, yes, this is something I could believe in, this is something I could contribute to, then don't give them another look. Don't waste your time with them. You're looking for someone to work for whose values and whose vision in life and whose mission in life are compatible with yours. Mm. So that's the first things. So having done that, 
hopefully you've got a short list of organisations that, that fit with you. Then you can start looking, well, okay, what sort of jobs are they are they advertising for? You know, what are the requirements? What are the qualifications that are required? What are the other capabilities of the job? You stick in an application, but you're putting in an application, and when you do that, you're actually going to address all of the criteria, every single one of them in detail. Because if you don't, the HR people are just going to reject you. You haven't covered all the questions that they asked you when you, when you put in your application. You'll fall at the first hurdle. Make sure that you do that. Tell them something about yourself. They want to know who is this person. They don't just want to know what qualifications you've got how long you spent working in the industry, all those sorts of things. They want to know something about you. So make sure that you get that in there. Uh, make sure that you're you're making yourself look like a real person. You're not sending them an application that might have been written by ChatGPT, even if it was. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a human being, so come across as such. So you're right, you... The application that you're sending to a company is really just getting you noticed. It's not about applying for the job. You'll worry about that later. It's about getting you noticed so that they look at you and say, right, yeah, this is a person who could fit within this organization. That's what you're trying to do. Get the interview. Once you've got the interview, then you can worry about, okay, well, now how can I get this job? Okay, fine. So you've got an interview. Right. An interview is two-way and a lot of people forget that they think that they're going there to be interviewed by somebody on a panel who's going to ask them questions it's two-way you are interviewing them just as much as they are interviewing you what you're doing at the interview is you're making sure that those people get to see you in your best light but you're also asking them about their organization you're going to be very interested in the questions that they ask you and in how they ask those questions because they'll give you some insights into what that organization is about. If you're not completely clear by the time you get to the end of an interview on what that organization's values are, then ask. Ask the question just like that. Can you explain to me what the values of this organization are? How's the organizational culture? Tell me about that. Because, you know, I'm actually going to commit, if I accept a job with you, then I'm going to commit one third of my life to this organization. You know, so I want to make sure that it's going to be a good fit for me just as much as the organization makes, wants to make sure that I'm going to be a good fit with them. So you're going to be a bit strategic about it. If your motivation is solely money, then the chances of finding yourself in a job that you enjoy doing and that you look forward to getting up every morning, getting on the train and going to do are fairly remote. The chances are that if you just chase money, at some point you're going to feel miserable in your work and you're going to burn out. Choosing money as your main motivator is a big mistake. Obviously, if you have two jobs which are exactly the same in all respects, except for this one pays a little bit more. Well, you know which way you're going to go, obviously. But the money is not your main motivator. 
it really isn't. What you're looking for is something that fits with who you are as a person and with where you want to go in your life, personally and professionally. So it's crucially important that you get that right. So that's from the, the job applicant's point of view. From the other side, if you are a team leader or somebody like that who's, who's recruiting somebody for your team, obviously you're looking for a person, a human being. So the first thing you're looking for is signs that this is a real person and not somebody who relies on chat GPT for everything. <laughs> I want to see, I want to see who this person really is. I want to get a feeling for who they are because not only are they going to have all the qualifications and everything else, the skills and capabilities to do the job, but I'm assessing them to see how they're going to fit culturally within my team because they may be an expert in their field and they may be you know, the best in the business according to their CV and their references. But if they're a complete so-and-so to work with, well, you know, they're going to make all sorts of, cause all sorts of problems once they come into my team. So, you know, I want to be able to, to work that out at the same time as I'm going through the recruitment process with them. And I'm going to be open to answering their questions and I'm going to be expecting them to ask me about organizational values and about organizational culture because that's part of the human aspect of, of the work that we do. And it's so crucially important. So you want to set yourself ahead of the other people who are applying for that job. You know, go in there and be a real person. Don't go in there and play a role. Just go in and be yourself. And if you can be yourself and you can relax in being yourself, which means to say that you're really confident about yourself, that is going to be one of the major factors in that person offering you that job. If I'm recruiting somebody and I see someone who's coming in and they're really confident about themselves, they know who they are, they know what they're about, they know what they want, then I'm going to say, you, right, you come and work for me. That's good. That's what I want. That is what I want on my team. I don't want some timid little yes man coming to work for me. I want somebody who's in here to do a good job, who's actually going to speak up when things need to be said, who's actually going to be able to ask the questions, who's actually going to be confident enough to take a risk. That's what I'm looking for. So you know, those are a few things just to, just to think about. Oh, thank you for sharing. Yeah, definitely. Yes, and it's uh, paramount to know yourself. It's it's a very coachy thing, but it's it's coach. It's applicable to everyone. You really need to know yourself, your values, and then just align your values with with the company's values and and vision. Do they do they align with you? Like for example, uh, the company I mentioned before was a hustle culture, was a really long working hours. Like for people who value work life balance, I don't know. I don't think it it's go might work might work for them if they value work-life balance uh so yeah it's really it's really yeah as i said it's very crucial to know yourself what your values are and then do your own research uh, you know browse website or the company's website and see if you in if they are a good fit for you as well in, um, in the same way and i think from my side as well what i did when i was looking for a job when when sorry when i was doing my research I also went to Glassdoor website. It's a, I think it's global. Basically, it's employees review. Um, 
you know, they give the feedback. It may be existing in place, it can be job applicants, and then you can maybe make an opinion about whether it's a good company to work for. And sometimes you need to be really, you need to be, you need to have a critical mind as well, because some people are, um, I don't know, maybe they're just angry at something and they just go and lash out on things because it's everything is normally anonymous. And sometimes you read things, you just, you just get horrified. Uh, like I remember I was reading very big uh, uh, a feedback sorry a review for one really big bank and somebody said a few people said that they've heard that people were cried in the toilets you know this is how awful like yeah so <laughs> obviously for me i was like this is a red flag i'm not going to apply for that role or i'm not going to proceed but i was well in my career made the low mistakes as you said like for example in the interview I was always thought about them. They need to pick me. You know, I want to get the job, but I should have asked them a question. Are they, because I, as, I, as you said, I'm going to invest so much of my time to this company. I should as well choose them. Are they a good fit for me? You know, in, but I didn't, I didn't question. I didn't, yeah, I didn't question myself. I thought, oh, no, no, I need to do well on this interview. interview. They should pick me. That was my mindset. But then when I got the job, I, I realized it's actually it's not a good fit for me and I should have done my research better rather than just jumping into next role and accepting the first one because they, they gave me a job offer. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, no, you, you've got to be strategic yeah. about the jobs that you apply for. You know, you've got a career path in mind because you know, if you've done a bit of thinking, about yourself and figured out who you are and where you want to be and what you want to be and to do and to have in your life well you know you're looking ahead you're not looking at this week you're not looking at next week next year you're looking at a career trajectory and thinking to the future where do i actually want to be now what are the steps that i need to take to get me from where i am today to there to that point so that's going to really guide you into you know the sorts of positions that you're looking for and so you know, you're going to be doing that all the way through your career because, you know, from time to time, you'll be looking at the role that you're currently in and asking yourself, is this taking me another step towards where I want to be? Because if the answer is no, it's taken me that step, but now I'm just marking time, then, you know, it doesn't matter how comfortable you might be in that role. It doesn't matter how happy you are with the amount of money you're getting paid. If you don't start looking and moving on, eventually you're going to get bored. A resentment is going to creep in and you'll just be unhappy in your life. You just, you know, it's just not going to work for you. So, you know, keep it, keep it in mind all the time. You know, who am I? Where am I going? What do I want? How am I going to get there? What is the next step that I need to take to move me along that way? And sometimes it means, you know, you're going to say, okay, I'm enjoying this role, but time's up. Time's up. It's time to move on. <laughs> you know? And that includes these people who are listening to us now who are in leadership roles. You outgrow a leadership role just as much as you outgrow any other role if you're not being challenged by the role that you're in. It's time to move on. So one of the secrets of leadership, I'll, I'll share this with you, one of the secrets of leadership is to know when it's time to quit and quit when it's time. 
I reckon my rule of thumb is that a leadership role, five years max. Five years max. Because by the time you've been in a role five years, you know it backwards. You could do it in your sleep. There is no challenge and you're not growing. You're not learning. You're not developing yourself. So at that point, it's time to stretch yourself a bit more. Move on. Get out of there. Get into something that's a little bit more challenging and that takes you another step towards where you want to be in your life, in your career. Just a few few little thoughts that occur to me there no it's a it's a it's a it's a great yeah, it's great it's a great point that you should know when to quit because some people stay in their roles for too long uh, i don't want to say they get complacent but they're not challenged they get comfortable secure and yeah and i think if you're not as well enjoying what you do or you get bored as well other people will feel it because you have people who report into you and uh, I remember your article, I think I read your, art, uh, your blog article uh, about you need to know how when to quit. I think you were actually talking about that. It was very insightful. Um, yeah, I highly recommend actually reading Bernard's blog on his website. His articles are very, very insightful. It's more like, I would say, life coaching and leadership. I would say these types of subjects, but... They, they they apply to everyone. And yes, I really um, just want to highlight importance of all these questions you mentioned, Bernard, like knowing yourself, what do you want and how you are going to get there. Everyone really needs to be a bit more strategic because I wasn't strategic and I was just drift, drifting through all the time. I, I, I didn't understand, you know, changing one job to another because I didn't like it, because I didn't know myself. What, what do I want? I thought, well, I need to be financially independent from my husband. I want to have my own money. But without actually any strategy, any thinking, I like the change. I have to say I like to change. I like the change. But still, I thought I was a bit mindless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the trouble. You know, sometimes if you do that, if you just, if you're going for jobs and, and you, 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 you've, you've taken up a career because somebody told you years ago that it would be good for you, probably a parent or somebody like that. Oh, you should study law. You know, you should do that because lawyers make a lot of money and they can actually have a lot of status in the community. You should, you should, you should. If you listen to that and you just get driven by all that should, the chances are you're going to end up doing something that you don't actually enjoy and that doesn't really fit with the, with, with, with the reality of who you are. But if you've been able to look at yourself and figure that out and, and make your own decisions, then the chances are you've picked the right career. Some people, more by luck than anything else, do find themselves in exactly the right place, doing exactly the right thing, but with no clear idea of how they got there or why. But when they wake up to themselves and they ask the question, you know, who am I? What do I want? You know, and they figure out, this is it. You know, I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right thing. They don't actually make any radical changes in their life at that point. But what changes an awful lot is their attitude to their life. Suddenly, it's got meaning. Suddenly, it feels like there's some purpose to it. We're not just chasing money now. You know, there's more to it than that. You know, this is a life I'm living here, and so you know that's that's really the difference that it can make. You know, there's 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 one other thing that I, I just want to touch on talking about organizational culture and leadership and all the rest of it, these things can change. So you can find yourself 
in an organization which has fantastic culture and then a new manager comes in and stuff changes. The culture changes almost overnight and the organization's values start to diverge from yours and you start looking around and you're thinking to yourself, I was enjoying this job and it's not working for me anymore. This organization is going in a direction which I do not like. What am I going to do? Well, you've got three choices at that point. One, put up and shut up. Two, change something. Either work hard to change the organization back, change it to a more, per more, a more positive culture, or change the way you feel about it. Or three, get out of there. Those are your three choices. If you don't do any of those, that's still a choice. That's actually back to choice number one by default. And the chances are, if you do that, that eventually resentment will set in. And resentment is one of the most corrosive emotions that a human being can be subjected to. It's guaranteed to make you miserable in your life. So if the organization changes, the role changes, something changes, and it's not working for you anymore, then get in the driving seat and do something about it. You owe it to yourself to do that, and possibly to the people around you as well. It's just one thing, one thought that occurred to me while we were talking about that. Well, thank you. Yes, obviously, the, these things do happen, and um, new management come along. Uh, yes, and as you said, if, if your values um, are not aligned with the values of a new, of a new leadership, yeah, there, there are three options available for you, and it's good to, um, again, know yourself and take action in accordance with that. We discussed the job seekers and applicants, but there are people who are existing employees and they find themselves in a company with a culture that it's not good fit for them. What should they do? Well, there's your three choices. Yeah. You know, put up and shut up, change something, either change the environment or change how you feel about it, or get out of there. That's it. That's, that's all you can do, really. And, and just having the awareness to know that the environment has changed or that the you'd made a mistake and got yourself into an environment that didn't suit you for whatever reason, just having that awareness allows you to get in the driving seat and to be proactive about it. Um, I'll give you a bit of an example of that. Now, some years ago, a colleague of mine, whom I, I was working for, he was a software developer, um, and we were working for a small company that was, was doing fantastic stuff. It had a really good organiza organizational culture. Um, the leadership of that organization were, were really good people. And we were we were succeeding. We were we were taking um, the competition to the cleaners. Absolutely no problem at all. But this guy was a was a software developer, and I was talking to him one day about how he managed to to get himself into that organisation. And he said, "I went through university uh, because I was interested in in technology and in, in in software systems and all that sort of stuff. And I got my degree, and then I." couldn't figure out what to do so I stayed there and did a master's degree and then when I couldn't be a student anymore he said I had to get a job 
because I wanted to get married and I wanted to buy a house and all those sorts. I had to earn some money. So he just cast around and took the first job that came his way, which happened to be with an aerospace company and he was working on guidance systems for missiles, for armaments, for stuff that he said went whoosh, bang, all nasty. That was his description. And he said, the job was good. It was interesting. The software development work was fascinating. We did some really good stuff. But then he said, after two or three years, I began to ask questions about, is this ethical, this stuff we're doing? Because really, when you think about it, it's all about killing people. It's about making weapons that are going to go out there and be used in a theater of war to kill people. Do I really want to do this? Is this really who I am? And he came to the conclusion that it wasn't. So he quit. Ah, but you know, that's the kind of thing that, that, that happens sometimes with people who are not really consciously aware to begin with of, of who they are and what their life is going to be about, what really it, 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 what really it is that's going to, going to fit with them. And so, you know, he was well into a, actually what could have been a very lucrative career for him. And then he realized he'd made a mistake. Yeah, it didn't fit. So he had to jump ship. He had to move. He had to get out of that and, and find something else. Well, fortunately, he did. Uh, and so um, the business that we were in was, was all about um, energy efficiency. It was all about environmental effectiveness and stuff like that. Much better, a much closer fit. With, with who he is uh, and um, you know, he felt a whole lot better about coming to work each day about the work he was doing and it's not just about the money <laughs> you, know? you see he, he, thank you for sharing that uh, that's a great example he felt that was something was wrong and then he asked himself what exactly because it just wasn't the, the nature of the business or the company was wasn't uh, in accordance with what your ex colleague I believe he was he, he was your ex colleague right you worked together yeah yeah and yeah you just yeah it's just and it's yeah it, it, it's good to ask yourself these questions so he could pursue the role where he could find more meaning and yeah just a different career rather than yeah it's like you know working for a uh, I think we discussed it before I think not on the podcast for tobacco company. Right, uh, you know, I think I don't remember who was that as well. One of my friends, she worked for American Tobacco. I think that's the company, American Tobacco. Oh no, she was applying, but then she realized actually, you know, the media. I don't smoke. I'm against smoking. You know, smoking kills people. And yeah, she just uh, did not pursue that role. But that's that's very yeah. It's, as you said, it's not all about money, because the company can give you a very good package. But yeah, at the same time, if you wait on the balance, on the scale, you know, what's really important to you, what will bring you meaning meaning, and what will make your career rewarding, definitely it's not worth it. Yes, and I think as well from my side, we, we did talk about leadership and I uh, forgot to mention that, you know, sometimes, uh, Bernard, I don't know if you experienced that, a lot of companies, you know, they spend a lot of time um uh, using beautiful value statements on their website looks so nice and it sounds very impactful. But sometimes as well, the, when you join the firm, it, a lot of the leaders, they just don't walk the talk. You know, 
or maybe they don't know how to. So they spend money hiring consultants to produce these statements and producing these brochures for maybe shareholders, for, for other pitches they're going to do. But at the same time, this is where their work just finishes. But that's actually a conversation probably for another, for another episode. But generally, sometimes as a leader, you need to be, um, how shall I say, adhere your behavior to, to the beliefs and values that company if it's if it's going to mean anything, yeah. you know, the company's vision, the company's mission, the company's organizational culture, which is actually uh, how the company's values manifest themselves day in, day out within the company and outside. Well, you know, if, if that's all just glossy brochures and stuff that's on their website because they, they hired a consultant who said, this is what it ought to be, well, you know, it's fake. It it means nothing. It's, it, it, you know, that though would be fairly obvious to somebody who had dealings with that organization, either um, as a client or as somebody who made a mistake and went there as an employee. You know, it would be fairly obvious that you know this this stuff doesn't actually represent anything meaningful at all. So really, you know, if if a company's uh, values and their vision statement and their mission statement didn't come from within, as not just from the CEO. The CEO is going to lead this stuff, not just from the board. The board are going to actually be very central to to putting this together. It comes from everybody in the organization, if it's actually going to mean something, because everybody in the organization is going to look at that and go, yeah, I can buy into that. That fits with who I am personally. You know, I will be proud to work for this company because that's you know, who I am. It's who they are. It's who we are. And then we becomes meaningful. You know, this organization, we, you know, I'm a part of it. I own a part of what it does. You know, it's not just my job. It's not just that they pay me to come here from nine to five, Monday to Friday. There's much more to it than that. I'm here working for this organization because I believe in what it does and what it stands for. So, you know, if I've got a choice of a job with a company like that or a job with a company that, that just has these glossy statements on its website and <laughs> pretends all of this stuff but pays a little bit more, you know, I'm going to choose to earn a little bit less and work for a company that I can believe in because, you know, that's going to put me in a much better place um, in myself. <laughs> you know, it's, it fits more closely with who I am. And the chances are that this time next year, this time in two years' time, I'm still going to be there. Whereas if I work for the other organisation, I'm going to play it for as much money as I can extract from them and then I'm going to move to something else. So, you know, if you want to keep your employees then don't be fake. You know, if you want to keep your employees, if you don't want high staff turnover and all of the costs that come with that, then look after your people. You know, mean what you say. Say what you mean. You know, live your values. And if you can't do that, well, you know, have a good look at yourself because you know, you're probably in the wrong place. Oh, yes, that's very true. Be authentic, be yourself. 
be real and make sure your actions are cons consistent with your values. That's right. And it, you know, it, we're talking about any kind of business, not just yeah. a little small business with five or six employees. It, it applies just as well to a multinational with tens of thousands of employees in different countries, in different places around the world. Organizational culture pervades the entire organization and it starts from the top. And most importantly, it's got to be genuine. It's got to mean something so that all of those people in the organization can identify with it, can buy into it and can say, that's something that I'm proud to be a part of. That's, that's, that's very accurate. Thank you, Bernard. And I think on this note, we are going to conclude um, our episode. Do you have anything to add, Bernard? Maybe have I missed anything from our conversation? No, thanks, uh, uh, Rukshana. It's always great to talk to you and I'd get on to the, uh, the podcast. I hope that uh, people listening have, have got something from the conversation. I'm very happy to engage in dialogue if anybody would like to can get in touch with me through my website that would be fine i'm very happy to uh, to engage in in conversation there but leadership as you probably gathered is something which i feel very strongly about it's been something that has been growing on me for a number of years now and um, i've got a lot of fulfillment myself out of working with people and guiding them through their own um, leadership personal and professional development so it's something that i, I believe in very strongly so Hopefully that came across. No, definitely. It definitely came across for me, Bernard. And I, I know you personally, and you've become a very good friend of mine. And um, yes, I, I'm sure it comes across very well to other people who listen to you and everyone who has a chance to read Bernard's book and to read his um, blog articles or watch his video on his website. I do um, encourage you to do so. They're very insightful. And I'm sure everyone can learn something from Bernard. Thank you very much, for Bernard, for being on my show today. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Mokshana. It's been great. Become the best version of yourself with Coaching Chats.